I'd found myself doing something that I was a bit passionate and obsessed about, making bread. And I was making it every day, and I had my starter, and I was keeping it alive. And so, you know, it became this living, breathing thing that I had to take care of every day. And my wife would see me just getting so caught up in this small little world I was doing, thinking about opening a bakery, like, what do you know about opening a bakery? You've never worked in a restaurant. You've never worked in the food business. Are you crazy? Today's episode is a story about a rise and a fall and another rise. In this case, the story of a career in entertainment taking a extremely interesting and telling turn in one man's life. What I'd like you to listen for as you hear the story today is the high value when you are running a business or building relationships at work between not only the people you work with, but the idea of how much will you trust yourself and what you believe in. Also, it will not be hard to hear today about the enormous role that genuine emotion plays in building a successful business. I'm Drew Kugler in conversation with Bob Oswax, and this is Tell Me What to Say. The story about Bob is really what this podcast is about. Um, so let me take you back a little bit, and then Bob's going to pick up the story as we get into where we are and why we're here. Um, the last time I sat across the desk from Bob was, I believe, around 2008. Bob uh, was an executive, very high-placed executive at Sony uh, Television. And I was uh, leaning on Bob to be able to help me try to understand one of his colleagues at Sony because I was coaching um, the, the process of helping him, Bob's colleague, become a better leader. Uh, I recall Bob uh, spending a considerable amount of time with me giving thoughtful, candid uh, insights into the gentleman's leadership style. So that was 2008. It is, as we know, 2000 now, 10 years later. And I'm going to turn it over to Bob for a second to describe. Uh, we, I can tell you we're not in an office building in Culver City, California. Uh, I'll just let Bob pick it up for here for a few minutes to tell us where we are. Bob? Thank you, Drew. I'm happy to be here with you. Um, we are in Los Alamos, California, which is the heart of the Central Coast wine country, about 45 minutes north of Santa Barbara. And we're in a, my business, which is called Bob's Well Bread, which is a bakery and cafe in Los Alamos, right in the wine country, in a town with 2,500 people and, uh, you know, just a couple wine tasting rooms, our bakery, a couple of little restaurants and a couple of antique shops, but right in the center of the heart of the wine country. Right. right. So why here, Bob? What does this place offer you? Before we get into a little of your uh, biography, what does this place in its present way offer you and your family 
um, that uh, the Sony sitting across at Sony didn't, right? What have you now been able to create? I've been able to create something that's mine, my wife's and mine. We um, had a dream of a business that we could leave Los Angeles, open up. I mean, it's a very romantic notion, having a small bakery situated in the country and, you know, you're living on a two-lane road and you don't have any stoplights or stop signs. Um, I caution anybody who's thinking about that kind of a career shift that it's a very romantic notion. But we had a um, failure is not an option mantra, so we're sitting here in a quite bustling cafe right now. Right. Which, and I uh, and my my friends and uh, my wife Lisa's here, and obviously uh, Ari's here, and we just had a spectacular. And I am not just saying that a spectacular breakfast, uh, which will tide us over till dinner. So um, then let's go. Let's begin to to see how this came to be. Uh, and as you know, um, the fairly traditional question of tell me what to say to get started um, is to go back a bit uh, and, and to go back to your childhood with some, um, some sense of what you wanted to be. Do you have a, a recollection of what that was? Yeah, I can go there. Um, <laughs> and it's, it, it's interesting because as I listened to some of these podcasts before we got together to do this, one of them that struck me most personally was listening to Peter Principato, um, who also grew up on Long Island, also grew up under very middle-class, modest circumstances, and and was figuring out what his path was. So I grew up also on Long Island, um, um, middle-class family, and but I was I was obsessed with the entertainment business. Um, I mean, I would wait for my mother to come home from the grocery store with TV Guide every week so I could read it and devour it. And I didn't know what I was ultimately going to do, but I knew that I wanted to work in the entertainment business, and therefore I thought I wanted to be an actor for a period of time. So I was always doing school plays, however good or not good I was. That was what I had my my sights set on. Were you any good? I wasn't bad, but it wasn't something that I, it was something that I thought I was going to pursue up until I went into college, because I went to college on a drama scholarship, mm. but I got cold feet um, just before school started. And um, I sat down with my father, who was a very pragmatic man, um, you know, had the same job his entire life and was always very cautious, And but he, you know, told me if I wanted to work in the industry, I should consider from a business point of view. And he talked about marketing, and I didn't understand what marketing was yet because I was pretty young. But um, I switched my major over to business and took a, a you know a major in marketing. And um, you know my my dad used to bring me home. He worked in a building that they published Variety in, but this was New York, so it was Weekly Variety, and it was a newspaper, and it was much different than the daily Hollywood trade paper. But he would bring it home to me, and I would just devour it. So I I got a sense over the time of my college years that I wanted to be in marketing in the television business. Hmm. So I packed up my car when I graduated college and drove cross country and never went back and um, 
That's how I got to California. Got to California in pursuit of in the marketing pursuit of, well, career. In um, of marketing career. And I ultimately landed an interview at NBC interviewing to be a page, which was the entry level, one of the entry level ways to get into the business. I, I know Peter Principato talked about the entry level getting into an agency in the mailroom. Well, I, I was interviewing to be a page, which is a studio tour guide and, and things like that. And the woman who was the head of the page department had recently been working in HR, and she took a look at my resume, which was pretty non-existent. I'd worked at a movie theater and Jack LaLanne and, you know, those kinds of things in college, but I didn't have any business experience. Mm. And she said, but you've got a business degree and you've got to, you know, seem like a smart kid. You know, I want to send you up for uh, something in the unit managers, training mm. to be a unit manager, which is a financial liaison between the, the, the network and the production itself. So whether it was Days of Our Lives or Hollywood Squares or the Johnny Carson shows, shows that were produced at NBC uh, had somebody that was a liaison between the production and, and the network. Right. Now, and, now Dan, do you remember when you were doing this work in this phase of the pursuit of this career? Yeah. Do you remember uh, a, a certain happiness or ambition? What kind of emotions were going on then? Um, obviously, we'll get up to present day, but emotions going on then were probably just um, um, uh, a little anxiety. I mean, I was just out of college. I'd moved out by myself. I'd saved all my money when I, you know, drove cross country, you know, in order to do this. So, but I was a little anxious about. I got an apartment and I've got a car and now I got to get a job. Um, mm. But I did get that job. Yep. And, um, but I wasn't an accountant right. or a financial person per se. So I was um, probably ill-suited for the job, but the guy that hired me liked me and trained me and took me along. And it was through networking while I was there that I met somebody that worked for Norman Lear and they were looking for an entry-level marketing person. Mm -hmm. And I got an interview uh, with two people that I ended up working with for many years um, who gave me this, this job to be uh, the head of marketing for Tandem Productions. Right, which remind the listeners the shows that... You were All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Good Times, The Jeffersons, mm -hmm. One Day at a Time. You know, right. Classic sitcoms created by Norman Lear. So you had made it from your childhood, waiting for mom to come home with the TV guide. There you were. There right, I was. With the yeah. best of the best. And then that started you, a little bit I know, that started you on a, a career path mm -hmm. uh, through various studios, and you ended up um, at Sony. And at the very, ape, what is it, the pinnacle, um, tell people what you were what you were doing and what was your purview and interest there. Remembering right. this all began so as this, a kid. This, my, my entra, entree into um, television marketing was in 1980, working for Norman. And so 20 years later in 2000, I was recruited by Sony uh, to be head of 
uh, domestic marketing for uh, their TV division. Um, ultimately, it became Sony Pictures Television. Um, and um, at the apex of that particular career, I was president of worldwide marketing for right. them. Right. So there you were around the time we met. Uh, and then soon after, and the whole spirit of of this uh, podcast is how conversations change things in our lives. Um, things changed, right? Yes. Uh, talk, talk us through the conversations around then and how they changed your life. Well, in 2011, I got laid off by Sony uh, during um, a period of years where they were... Um, in terms of watching the bottom line, they were eliminating, eliminating layers of management. And um, it didn't matter if you were a president or EVP or SVP or wherever, they were looking to cut, cut numbers and cut, cut bodies and cut heads. And I, I became the victim of that. Um, and um, I... One of the first conversations I had was with Norman Lear, um, who called me right after this happened, because ironically, I was still working with him because Sony owned the Norman Lear library of television series, and I was working with him developing campaigns to launch these shows in home entertainment on DVD. And he called and, you know, we had a very frank discussion and he said how long have you been doing this and I said 30 something years he goes how long were you at Sony I said 11 years he goes you know his opinion was that life isn't about doing the same thing in a continuum throughout your entire life and being at the same place and doing it the same thing really stagnates you and you know if you look at him He's, he's done many different things, not just creating television shows, but, you know, um, creating a nonprofit, People for the American Way, that talks about people's liberties and getting into the music business. And ironically, now at 95, back producing television shows for Netflix, doing a Hispanic version of One Day at a Time and a couple other new sitcoms, as well as inspiring multiple generations of creators of sitcoms along the way. Yeah, yeah. So I, at the time, I, I listened to his words, but I appreciated the advice, but my thought was, no, I've got to get back in and do what I do because that's what oh. I do. So you respected the advice, but at that point, re rejected it? I don't know how else. What do you, when you hung up the I phone, I filed it away. Right when you hung up yeah. the phone, you I put it in my parking lot in the backside of my brain because I didn't know what else could I do. I didn't know what else I was good at, or uh, you know, Sony did give me. You know, they give you these exit counselors that mm -hmm. you know put you through these tests, and they talk about you know lots of questions, trying to see if there's a um, you know is there another career path for you? What are you meant to be doing if you're not doing what you're doing? Um, but really, the, the turning point was my um, sending out dozens of letters to headhunters and job applications and trying to 
say, all right, I'm getting back into this business and I'm going to go to another studio or another network or a cable company or whatever, ad agency, whatever it's going to be. I've got to do what I've made my reputation doing or what I thought I was most passionate about doing. That's what you thought. I mean, I, I wanted to I was catch passionate on that. About that. Yeah. Your passion yeah. was in marketing. Yeah. Okay. Um, but along the way, you know, my wife and I being food and wine enthusiasts, um, we had a wood-fired oven in our backyard, and I was, you know, a little pizzaiolo on weekends and making pizzas, and um, I thought, well, let me try my hand at bread. It was really one of those things I'd had letters out and phone calls out, and I was trying to, you know, keep my hands and my mind busy while I was waiting. And I happened upon a successful formula for a loaf of sourdough bread that I had someone try it and people would say this is the best bread I've ever eaten you know can you make me another loaf and so I, I thought well let me try and make it different times of day whether it's early or late or humid or dry or hot or cold how do I make something consistently and, you know, while I'm going through this process, I start to get calls back from headhunters. And they're like, hey, Bob, you've got a great resume. You've had a great career. You've done amazing things. But you're of an age where you're not going to get another job like that. Whoa. So, you know, that's the hard reality. And I was a little incredulous thinking that, wow, I've got all this experience and I've done all these things. How can I not get another job? You remember that uh, I often I talk remember on this, the, the things you were saying, yeah. what you said to yourself when, and I always talk on these podcasts yeah. about the conversations with ourselves, being so determinative of how we sometimes act. Right. When they called back and said, no thanks, mm -hmm. you first took it like, well, they're wrong? Or how could they say that? What was your reaction when you started to get into those conversations? Because... You've been on this path. Well, I never thought of myself at 50 years old as out to pasture mm. um, or invaluable, um, considering that I'd had, you know, this track record of working for over 30 years, never being out of work, and always going from successful position to position. So it was, um, I didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Were there conversations around that time, do you remember, with your family, uh, friends that were helping put some, other than the one that you had filed away from Norman Lear, what were some of the other key conversations in this really what must have been a, a challenging and odd time in your life? Well, some of the conversations were, as I started to think about can I do something else? Should I do something else? And I was, I was really getting very... Um, I'd found myself doing something that I was a bit passionate and obsessed about, making bread. And I was making it every day, and I had my starter, and I was keeping it alive. And so, you know, it became this living, breathing thing that I had to take care of every day and that I made more bread every day. And But my wife would see me just getting so caught up in this small little world I was doing and we're like well thinking about opening a bakery like what do you know about opening a bakery well, you've never worked in a restaurant you've never worked in the food business and you know what are you crazy what'd you um, say 
you know, I, I just said that I, it was something I had to follow. But at the same time, I had parallel tracks. I was looking right. for work. I was doing consulting and looking for consulting assignments, and I was developing a, a plan in my head, uh, starting in my head, and then became a real full-fledged business plan to um, think about opening a bakery. Right. Um, right. Didn't want to do this in L.A. No. You know, L.A. wasn't a city I wanted to be an entrepreneur, have a small little bakery, and I just, you know, I needed to figure a way to keep my whole life going. Um, but we'd had a house up in Los Alamos in the wine country that we used to come to on weekends, and I thought, what a, what a great fantasy. You know, you find the exit ramp and you go to do something. It's, again, it's that romantic notion. Mm -hmm. Have a small little bakery in the country and how great would life be? Don't have the same worries and uh, you know, situations that you have to worry about living in a city and wearing a suit and shaving and going and fighting that warrior mode every day. Right. Which Bob is not wearing today. Yes. And I don't know if he shaved or not, but not today. he might have. Might. <laughs> All right. So you find the bakery site somewhere in that story and here you are. The We, we did have a chance uh, to talk last night a bit in, in preparation for this. And I, I, I one of the more important or interesting things that I learned from talking to Bob was he has become a, a source of advice, encouragement, inspiration to a number of people, whether it was in the business, entertainment business or not, and they write you for insights. They write you for advice. Um, can you characterize some of those conversations that your old world is having with you now and what comes of those conversations? You just, it's an email, I'm sure. I just think this is so, no, this idea of people finding their off, their exit ramp. Yeah, generally it started, they all start with an email because they'll um, hear about what I've been doing. They'll read something that may have been put out there in the press about what I'm doing. Um, they may see something online or they may go to my website. And I think a lot of people are, in the business and they've been in the business a long time and they're looking for their exit ramp and they just don't know how to steer off onto it. Um, again, I, I probably wouldn't have done that had I not been in a forced position, um, but I was able, using that forced position to figure it out. And when you're in those jobs, you know, you, you just, you don't walk away from it. But they write to me saying that, you know, it, it, I'm the hero or I'm an inspiration or, or all these things and that was never my in, it's flattering it wasn't what I set out to do I set out to pursue something that I became passionate with and I, the only thing I can tell them is the exit ramp is yours but you gotta find what's your passion to do something next you gotta find what's your second act right do you ever and this is what I was thinking about last night after we talked do you the name's not important, but do you have a sense of people who've gone for it as a result of a conversation, an email with you? Or is it like most people that I meet who talk about making change, it initially appeals to them, they get that, that first blush of excitement, it could be their exit ramp, and then it fades. Do you have a sense? I, I, I don't know anybody that's actually taken the, the, the right. jump, the leap yet. Right. 
No. Too many? Yeah. Yeah. It would be a whole other podcast as to why that's true. But, but, but you know, what's interesting is it happened to me at an age where I had the the time still to figure it out. You know, I had to figure out how to recalibrate my whole life, too. I mean, I was, you know, when you're senior executive, you have senior executive expenses. You know, you, you, know, you have a lifestyle that is keeping up with, you know, what's coming in. Yep. And when that stops coming in, you got to figure out how to recalibrate it. And I did it at a point where it was okay. Yeah. I said, okay, wh- what do we change in our life? And moving up was one of them. That's right. Um, I'm glad that it happened when it did happen because it was, I, I found peace with what my life is, which wasn't about the things that I thought were important. Got it. I was going to ask you, and this is as we begin to conclude here, because I, as, as we said at the top here, we're at a, a live and active bakery, and Bob is, it, take it from me, is quite active in making this stuff happen. So we'll let him go back after he asks, uh, sorry, answers the last question. In this story from 2000, when we met, right, right after that, from then to now, what was the, what's been the worst moment professionally? And what's been the best? The worst moment is going into a business you've never been in before. And again, I've got, you know, I've got 17 mouths to feed here. I've got about 17 to 20 people that work in this bakery between other bakers and chefs and line cooks and dishwashers and baristas and everything like that and bookkeepers. Um, And when you're new to a business you've never been in before, you probably have a little more trust um, in others that are part of the journey with you, that they're aligned with what your goals and how you want to operate. But very early on in the business, I mean, two seminal things happened that really crushed me to the core. Um, One was a a baker that I hired who had, you know, had my trust and did something unmentionable that almost caused me to lose the bakery overnight when we were two weeks in. And I had to recover from that quickly and um, with tremendous um, um, fortitude of what I had to do in order to fix this problem, which I did. And the second was, um, again, about trust. And it was uh, someone that I brought on to be uh, a bookkeeper slash consigliere, someone who'd been in the business for her entire <laughs> life and told me, told, was teaching me about the restaurant business and um, said you got to trust people and you've got to empower people and and all along the way by trusting her what was happening was she was slowly stealing from me to the tune of about $20,000 in eight months first eight months of the business I'd say can I get a draw? It's a little tight. Can I, can I get some money? I got expenses. We don't, not this month. And meanwhile, she was going on vacations and spa trips and, 
you know, plastic surgery, and it was like, wow. And one day I um, took a little more ownership of my ownership and um, saw what was going on and set up a little sting operation and caught her. Hmm. And um, through the, um, the generosity of the uh, district attorney of Santa Barbara County, who was a customer who decided to, you know, make, make this an issue, she brought this woman to trial for felony embezzlement and uh, got every cent back, but took two years. So those were the real low points. And I had, and, and, but those low points have really caused me to be very wary and cautious about people and trusting them. So I've, I've got eyes, I mean, they say to me in the back of the house now that I've got eyes in the back of my head, and I do, because I, I hear everything and I see everything, because you've got to as a small business owner. Um, and the best things that have happened are just the, the reactions that people have when they come here and they eat here, or they're just picking up something, and... You know, we're not just, it's not just food and we're not just feeding people, but we're feeding people's souls, I like to say. Mm -hmm. And I get people that buy a sandwich and they, they leave and they take the sandwich to go and they call the phone, they call the bakery and they say, I just bought a, a ham and cheese baguette sandwich from you and I have to tell you, it's the best thing I've ever had in my life. Wow. I had a woman yesterday who bought an oatmeal cookie, and she was on the road with her husband. They came back, and she said, I need, you know, half a dozen of these cookies. Or, you know, when we, you know, when the fires and the mudslides happened, you know, a couple of weeks in the last couple of months have been pretty hard on Santa Barbara County, but we were sending bread and sandwiches and pastries down to the firefighters and the evacuees. And I get notes back saying how much, you know, our giving back to them meant to them at a time when they didn't have anything. Mm. So I think it's the emotional connection with customers that makes what we do very much worth it. Uh, well, thank you, Bob. This was um, this was everything I hoped for. The stories, the the what was going on in your mind, some of the conversations you got into. It, uh, it fits very nicely within the theme that we're trying to create on the show. Um, I've got, I've rekindled a friendship, uh, a great place to eat. Uh, I'm going to probably go eat some more. Uh, we can count <laughs> can on you that. This I don't know. I don't know. I will come up with something. But most, uh, most important, thank you for My taking pleasure. the time. Thank you, thank you for we'll, the opportunity. Uh, you're welcome.